0: Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. It's the podcast where we try to inflict our favorite hobbies on the other person. We're going to be discussing the latest in books and sports.
1: My name's Steven. You just heard from my wife, Liberty.
0: Let's get into it, shall we? Sounds great. This week, we're actually going to go backwards from our usual format, and we're going to talk about the books first because we're going to be discussing the adaptation of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone into a movie.
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely interesting because, you know, Liberty's always told me that the book was better than the movie, and since I read the first book when I was a child, I don't really have that fair comparison. So um, since we finished, or since I finished the first book, and also you finished the first book this week. I read this that week, this week as well, Did yes. a reread. You know, we decided to kind of do that comparison. You know, I know that it was kind of set up by a panel that we went to at LeakyCon where, you you know, we sat in on which Ron is better, movie Ron or book. Run and I was so confused because I didn't understand that there was a difference at all.
0: And what did you decide now that you've read and seen both?
1: I definitely am leaning more towards the book book run a little bit. I, I like movie run still, but you know the now that I know what the standard was, it's not quite like the same excitement I guess for it.
0: Looking at your face, it kinda looks like you're agreeing with me just because you know that uh, if you don't you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of in this pickle where I know that like I like movie Ron still, but I also like book Ron still. And I'm kind of in this pickle where, like, if I was in that room I wouldn't know who to argue for right now.
0: Right. Well, I think uh, when it comes to Ron as a character the movies don't do him justice because he's a little funnier, a little sassier, I think, in the books. At least the first one. I definitely
1: could see see that, that fair comparison. And then I think the other big thing for me, honestly, with the movies and the books were, like, there were whole chunks of the book cut out. And, like, I get it. It's a movie. We don't want a Lord of the Rings where we're watching a movie for four hours you know so.
0: The first movie I completely forgot how long it was. It's not that it's a super long movie but nowadays movies are between like an hour and a half to two hours and this is over two hours. It felt like when I was a kid the movie was short that it wasn't very long at all and especially when you're considering how short the book is it just seems unfathomable that it could be that long of a movie and yet they still cut stuff out and it could have been even longer but I think for me me, my trouble mostly lies in the fact that it's world building that got cut and it's not anything to do with the plot. And that's my main problem with the movies. There's so much you don't see that just enhances the world. Of course, the plot went along just about the way that it should have, but you miss so much of the little details that make it fantastical.
1: And I, I can definitely understand how that that's the case, you know, like just starting off at the beginning of the book, like there, speaking of the world building, there was so much at the beginning that you don't get in the movie. It was like, we're here and I was grown up. Like there was nothing in between, you know? I
0: mean, it kind of does that in the books. But the thing that I missed the most at the beginning was Dursley's day going to the office, seeing all the weird things coming home. Because when you're first going into these books, you're basically a muggle yourself. You don't understand anything about what's going on. You don't know anything about this world. But you see all the tiny things in Dursley's day that leads to Harry being delivered on his doorstep. And I think that's an interesting transition into knowing about the world and what's happening. Happening. Plus, it's just kind of funny.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Uh, it just seemed like the the introduction scene where um, Hagrid ends up showing up with the baby, like it's similar-ish. Like it, hits like about I would say like maybe eighty percent to ninety percent of what's actually going on in the actual right, book. Right. At the same time, like just starting off it to start like that, and there already be a difference, like. That that seemed weird that there would well, be that big of a difference. I already. think
0: part of it is Hagrid gets the motorbike from Sirius, but Sirius doesn't become a character in the book series until book three. So I think the fact is they didn't want to bring it up. They didn't want to have to introduce a character you're not gonna see for a couple more movies. And so I think it's stuff like that that's been moved around and changed, and of course some of the sillier dialogue was removed from that part especially like him offering McGonagall a lemon drop and stuff like that's not really necessary for moving the plot forward but it is necessary to get a feel for the characters and who they are and understanding the world better.
1: And then the other scene that I think at the beginning that kind of like just the differences, obviously, coming up at the beginning would be the letters coming in. Obviously, I know that's something that you particularly miss out from the book. Like, you love the idea of letters just blowing into the house from every direction, windowsill, like crevice under the door. like.
0: Well, I think for me, actually, the bigger part that I miss from that whole chapter is the fact that Dursley just slowly loses more and more of his marbles as we go on, and he starts with sleeping down on the floor, and then it involves him mailing the letterbox shut with a piece of fruitcake in July. Tell me who has fruitcake in July. I don't know anyone. A
1: monster, that's you, because let's be honest, fruitcake is awful to begin with. Well, um... if you
0: can hammer in a nail with it, then yeah, it's probably not good for you.
1: (laughs) Usually speaking, yeah, you're right. Um, And then uh, the other scene I think that really kind of jumped out at me was... Is when they're going to the zoo for Dudley's birthday and how the friend of Dudley is not there and so. Like, pulkus, yes. Yeah, so you're not having like this tag team feeling necessarily that was going on. So.
0: Right. And I think You get the feel in the movies that the Dursleys have everything they want and then give their kid whatever he wants and they're choosing to treat Harry like this. It's not because they're poor. And I think having another kid there and having to buy his entrance and buy him food and all that helps sort of prove that point more. Yeah. Because not only can they do this for Dudley, they can do it for another kid. And still just give Harry crap
1: yeah and, and on top of that too like it it really also in the movie forced it to be like the first scene you see magic done by Harry when reality for like years he was stumbling upon dumb things that he could do unintentionally. Accidental, yeah. yeah
0: accidental magic yeah and I think it would have been a lot of fun to see how they completely sheer off Harry's hair, and then just comes back overnight. I think that would have been really funny to see. Yeah, like
1: he, they get his hair cut so poorly for like picture day or something like that in elementary school, and he's like, ta-da, the shag is back.
0: Right, right. And you miss how Harry's not really a muggle, but he doesn't know what's going on, and that the Dursleys are sort of freaking out and trying to stamp out all the magic in Harry, and you just kind of miss that up until they bring up the whole scene at the zoo. That's the one time you really get to see that.
1: Yeah, and, and so, like, it, it's definitely interesting scene all the way around, obviously. Like, him figuring out he can talk to snakes. Parseltongue, I guess, you know? But he doesn't know what that means at that point in time, so...
0: Well, he doesn't understand what's going on most of the time with that. I think, for me, one of the two major things that just makes me angry about the movies is Hagrid... Picks Harry up at the rock on the sea, and then they go shopping, and that whole thing's very cute. And then all of a sudden, he's at the train station about to go to Hogwarts. What happened to the month of August? All of August is gone. Time
1: travel. That's the only explanation. They just forgot the month of August, went from here now, and we're there in September.
0: It just... That whole thing pisses me off. It makes sense movie-wise for that to happen, but it makes no sense in relation to how it's supposed to have happened in the books. Because he's supposed to go live with the Dursleys, deal with them for a month. They take them to the train station and they make fun of him while they're dropping him off like a bunch of jerks. Yeah like
1: oh nine and three quarters good luck trying to figure that out.
0: And then they just leave him there which as an adult I have a big problem with if you're someone's guardian. As a child I'm like yeah that's just the way adults behave but as an adult I'm like you need to be reported. Someone needs to report you.
1: (laughs) Yeah I don't know that uh, it would have been a very good storyline if uh, Child Protective Services got involved.
0: Right and then The second major one that doesn't just make me angry, makes everyone angry, is how old Harry's parents look in the movies.
1: Yeah, it's clearly made for people that haven't read the book at all to kind of grasp the family build, I guess.
0: Well, it's a sadder story when you realize that they had only been out of school for about four years when they died. I think that makes for a more interesting story. But also, it sort of makes you realize that in a war, you're going to lose people young. And if they look like they're, like, 40, that doesn't hit home as hard.
1: Yeah, definitely. Again, though, I think the, the, the reasons they changed in the movie was to kind of be able to relate to, you know, more families than it would have been for the people that originally read the book. Like, just know. kind of opened the spectrum of availability yeah. of viewers.
0: And then we miss the scene at the platform once Harry finally makes it through to the platform because there's so much about the Weasley family that you just lose right there. I mean it happens a lot in the movies that you miss stuff with Fred and George but they are some of my favorite characters in this series and you miss a lot of the great moments from them The first one being the platform scene. The second one being them charming snowballs to hit Professor Quirrell's turban as he travels across the grounds. It's dumb. It's silly. I love it and I want it.
1: Yeah, I definitely can understand how missing out on those, like, important prankster things, you know, is stuff that you would enjoy even though you're not too fond of pranks in real life. But, (laughs) you know, um, it definitely adds for a little funnier side of the story, I think, more or less.
0: Well, in um, character development, you miss a lot of that in the movies. Right,
1: and then speaking of character development, the other one is kind of, uh, I would say, Hermione's character a little bit is a little thrown off from what you see in the movie versus Definitely. what you do in the book. You know, she definitely comes across in the book a little braver than she does in the movies. Like, you know, the scene where she's telling them how to basically get rid of the dragon. Like, this is what we're going to do in the book versus in the movie. That that scene's completely cut out. So, like, you, you miss some important things that happen.
0: We get a little bit of Charlie in there because he's the one that puts everything together to make the dragon get taken away. And if you've been with this series for as long as I have, you love the Weasley family unless you're cold-hearted for some reason. And so, seeing these moments not happen in the movies, it kind of just hurts a little bit. But for me, a lot of the things that are different are just small things that are factually incorrect now in the movies. And one of them is the keeper for the Slytherin team is female in the movie and they do not have females on their team. That's just their general rule, which sexist, but it is what it is in the books. There's also the color of the snitches wrong. It's not all gold. It's supposed to be gold and silver stuff like that. So it's just small things, but when you factor everything all together, just makes for an incorrect world.
1: Yeah, and and I can understand your frustration with those little details. I don't think they really affect the story plot, like the little things like there being females allowed on the teams and so on and so forth.
0: No, I completely agree with you that plot-wise, it stays pretty true to the books. It's just frustrating when it's something that you've grown up with and you've spent so much time with that they get it just factually wrong in some places. The last one I want to bring up is the fact that technically in the books they don't discuss having any of the house colors or crest or anything on their clothing. They discuss the houses do have colors and some sort of emblem but they don't discuss them actually having it on their clothing. Yeah
1: and again another minute detail. Right yeah. I get it. You know, obviously, when it comes to adaptations of books to movies and vice versa, back and forth, you know, there's always artistic opinions on certain things. And obviously, it it probably looks better to have the crest on the clothing in the movies. You know, just it helps the people that, again, haven't read the book to identify a little bit more with everybody.
0: And I think the more you're a fan of something, the more you're going to nitpick what comes out of it. But that's just my opinion on the series becoming movies. We're going to have more adaptations later as you get through the series. It gets weirder.
1: Well, I wouldn't expect anything less from this book series <laughs> to be just a little bit strange. So it seemed like overall the movies were pretty close to what was going on. I I felt that like there were a lot of scenes that, you know, were kind of missing. Obviously, the way the forest scene breaks down when they're on detention, that's completely wrong you know there's bits and pieces of it that are kind of right to what the book did but for the most part it was like we took about 10% of what we liked from that scene and made it a thing and then kind of the same thing with the portion where he is going through all the tests with Hermione and Ron they definitely play out differently in certain scenes like the broom writing you know where they're trying to get the key they're trying to get the flying key out you know to get through the door there's three brooms in the book which would have made it a lot easier because in the movie they made it seem like whoever was on the broom is the one getting attacked everybody else is fine and so like if that were the case in the book you've got two people to distract the flying keys from the person trying to get the other key which is more or less what happens in the book you know then you miss out on a really important scene i think in hermione's character plot to make her seem even like more intelligent than she already comes across you know with the the riddle Yeah, yeah the potion riddle that was clearly set up by snape you know and it's something you don't really get the opportunity to see and it's a strong point for hermione's character you know in the book so it's just it's tough to just cut that out
0: I think one of my things reading through it this past week was it seems a little more ruthless, the fact that they just leave Ron there. I know they had to in order for her to solve the riddle so Harry could move on and all that, but in the books, it just, it's like, Ron's fallen, all right, moving on. Or at least that's how it comes across this time, reading it, just for me and the way I saw it.
1: And you kind of see it as adaptation-wise with the building of Ron and Hermione's relationship right off the bat in that scene. It's kind of like she immediately runs over to him in the movie, or tries to anyways, and Harry's like, whoa, pump the brakes. Whereas in the book, she she doesn't move. You know, she just stands there and lets Harry make the next move and win because she knows what's going to happen. And so you see a level of caring from Hermione immediately for Ron that you don't necessarily see right off the bat in the books.
0: Well, as you will go on in the series, you'll see that Hermione is actually more ruthless than she comes across in the book or in the movies. And so I think you're missing that level of character dynamic. Moving on to the book news for the week. The Internet Archive, which is a digital library service type of thing. It offers free access to a lot of books and movies and other sorts of things. It's getting sued right now from the publishers, which publishers were they again? It was Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Hatchet Book Group, and a couple others are suing for copyright infringement because they had basically during the coronavirus pandemic opened up a national emergency library, which basically meant anyone could take out any book and not have to worry about books being returned to the library first or any of that. So it's just basically you're open to take whatever you want whenever you want. And so that's all that matters.
1: basically like the Napster of books?
0: I wouldn't call it that, but it basically, it no longer worked as a library and worked more as downloading free books. So they've had to technically close that program out two weeks early because of this uh, lawsuit that's happening. Personally, I don't know how to feel about that. I understand on a level, but at the same time, free books are no longer being provided.
1: Which is heartbreaking for somebody who loves books as much as you do.
0: I mean, technically, it's still going to work as a library, so one in, one out sort of thing, but you're going to be missing out on the opportunity that you had before this lawsuit happened.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they're going to do, like, a GoFundMe to try to pay for the (laughs) legal bills that they're going to have, because... I would imagine these larger companies that are suing them probably have some pretty good lawyers on staff.
0: Well, what I'm thinking is going to happen is it's going to have acted more like a cease and desist order rather than an actual lawsuit that goes all the way through and they sue them.
1: Gotcha. So kind of, in a sense, like when the cable company's like, hey, you're pirating movies, you need to stop doing this, it's bad, tsk, tsk.
0: Not that we know anything about that. Yeah,
1: no. Just like a little slap on the wrist, you know. Right,
0: right. I just I don't know for me, I thought it was interesting because it's basically still a library, but then at the same time, you have the part where no one has to return anything first. so it's a little frustrating because lately the wait times for libraries, ebooks, and audiobooks it's getting outrageous, which to a degree I like. I like that more people are reading, but at the same time, I don't want to wait fifty two weeks for a freaking book.
1: i I could understand that, you know, with all the people that are. At home currently, you're gonna obviously have more people reading books, and that's just the stipulation. Is obviously the businesses of the world are starting to open back up, so you're seeing people start going back to work now. So hopefully that will start to level off. Um, So it doesn't cause any problems for book readers in the near future. Hopefully.
0: Right. I know some libraries are starting to open up for holds. So basically, you put in a hold for a book, they tell you to come to the library, but you have to wear a mask and stay in your car and all that. So it's starting to open back up, so you don't have to do an ebook or audiobook, but it's gonna take some time before we're fully back to functioning libraries.
1: On top of the two, you gotta think you know, the coronavirus stays on objects for so many days based on temperature and humidity. So, with the libraries opening back up, I know that ebooks are probably the safest way currently to not spread COVID 19. Right. Uh, with normal books, you're going to run into the stipulation of basically. The libraries are going to have to hold the books for so many days in order to keep them clean and not, you know, cause health issues or spread COVID from somebody that may have had the book.
0: The second bit of book news for the week is Artemis Fowl is now available for Disney Plus streaming. And I never read this series as a child, but it was pretty popular. It's basically you read Artemis Fowl or you read Harry Potter as a kid. And that was your first foray into really reading. And the series is about a 12 year old. So this is technically middle grade named Artemis Fowl. He's a millionaire, genius, and criminal mastermind. So it's sort of like a mix between Kaz Brecker from Six of Crows and Bruce Wayne from Batman.
1: I was going to say, it sounds a little comic booky, to be completely honest.
0: Right. And it's basically, he kidnaps a fairy and it's not a good fairy. And then sorts of uh, mischief and magical mayhem happen from there.
1: That sounds like a pretty interesting series as well so maybe after Harry Potter that's what I'll read because we'll just knock out some other books but obviously we'll kind of let some people in on deciding that.
0: I would have to try to go into it with an open mind because for me reading middle grade books as an adult is way different than reading them as a kid so I'd have to try to look at it through the eyes of a child if I was going to do that.
1: Yeah, I can definitely understand how that would be a complication, you know, in in, in that instance, being a, an adult, it's kind of hard to go back and have those childhood memories of a series that you never read as a child.
0: Well, it's also sort of similar to when I read Harry Potter now. I'm just constantly looking around for an adult to make a smart decision and stop mistreating children. So that would make it difficult. But as a kid, you think, yes, this is the way adults behave. This is how they treat us. And then as an adult, you're looking around for someone to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. But Um. I've, I've heard that it doesn't quite match up to the books. And more so than the Harry Potter series, so I don't know if I read the books if I would want to watch the movies, just because if I like the books, I'm not going to watch a bad adaptation. Yeah,
1: definitely, especially, you know, you you love Harry Potter already, there is a a very built, established love for this series, so doing the book and um, movie comparisons wouldn't be too complicated for you, because you enjoy it, and you already know that.
0: But I think if Artemis Fowl was just a series that I kind of liked, I would be okay with watching an adaptation that wasn't a perfect rendition of the book becoming a show or a movie. And then for the last bit of news, is technically personal news. It's not really news news. I'm doing a Christmas in July weekend for my birthday. My birthday is July 4th. Christmas is my favorite holiday. So for the long weekend while you're working.
1: More than likely we'll be working the entire weekend of our birthdays. You know, the 4th of July is kind of a big time for my business at work. so.
0: So during that time, I'm going to do my own sort of Christmas in July weekend. So I'm going to be reading a Christmas book that I have through NetGalley. And then watching a Christmas movie that's on the DVR. And then I'm going to be baking a Christmas cookie recipe. But that's just for me. It's not necessarily anyone else is going to be doing this. But I like Christmas. It's my birthday weekend. I'm going to have some fun with it.
1: Having your Christmas celebrations while I'm away is probably not a bad thing. Because as you know, I'm not the biggest diehard Christmas fan as you are.
0: Whereas I watch Christmas movies in January and February and every other month.
1: I was gonna say let's just say every month. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So that's gonna be a lot of fun. As far as what I've been reading for the last week, I've actually managed to read quite a bit of around 1100 pages because I had to finish the last hundred pages of Merciful Crow, which I talked about last week. And then I finished the book series, The Others by Anne Bishop, the last one being Etched in Bone, which was all right. I gave it 3.75 stars so i liked it more than book four but in this one i was right in that i didn't know where the series could go after book four because it seemed like that was a pretty good stopping point but they hadn't developed the rest of the relationship stuff and that's why they kept it going and so i was right in that basically the plot just exists to push the romance further which I thought the characters were really good, so I didn't have too much of a problem with it. The only big issue was the resolution towards the end of the book, because you do get some of the romance things piecing together at the end but then it's basically just a hallmark movie where they kiss and it's done and you don't know what happens
1: god you know that's my biggest problem with christmas hallmark movies it's like uh they finally meet the love of their life and then they kiss the end do they get married do they kill each other what happens next you'll never know next week on hallmark you still won't have the answers
0: well they do have the hallmark movies and mysteries that could be a movie after the fact
1: I don't know. Just I I I feel like if they did a murder mystery type thing on Hallmark They'd just be about ready to figure out who the murderer was and they'd be like, the end!
0: So it's kind of like the way you feel with Christmas movies, but in a book. So that wasn't too great for me. Yeah, I can imagine
1: that's not a good feeling. That would frustrate me.
0: And then I basically read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in 24 hours, which I knew I would do because it's so easy for me to get through that when I've read it so many times.
1: Yeah, I tried to quote things throughout the week to her that I really liked differences between the book and the movie, and she was like, no, you're wrong, let me pull it up right now in the book i I know the page of the line the paragraph you know
0: it's not quite that bad but I did have to correct him since he didn't realize that Sirius Black brought Hagrid the motorcycle
1: that was a detail I guess I overlooked when I was reading it through the first time so in fairness she's read it at least what a dozen two dozen times more than I have so you yeah. know well
0: I read it in the Ravenclaw edition that we picked up when we were in Italy And I have to say, I liked it a lot because you got a lot of stuff that you don't get with other books. It mentioned people who were in Ravenclaw and how to get to the Ravenclaw house. And there were sketches in there. And so that was a lot of fun. And a lot of that information came from Pottermore, which was J.K. Rowling's website to try to get fans to continue talking about it decades later. But there were sketches that I know I haven't seen before in the Ravenclaw edition, so I really liked that. Yeah,
1: I thought that was kind of a cool addition to the Ravenclaw-style um, books that they released for every house, I would imagine. It's for every, every house they're available.
0: I believe they have one through four in every house so far. They're yeah. releasing it slowly, kind of like they're doing with the illustrated edition. Yeah, the reason
1: I like that so much is as a newly sorted Ravenclaw well, within the last year, roughly. I obviously don't know where all these things are because I haven't gone that far in the books, so I don't know where, you know...
0: I would say you shouldn't read all the information because it has spoilers all the way through the seventh book. So this is something that only people who are huge fans of the series should be picking up, not people who are going through it for the first time.
1: But I mean like things like the, where the common room is and how you get there and things like that. Probably important for somebody that, you know, just got sorted know.
0: Right, right. Well, if you're watching the movie, you're gonna think that we're down by the dungeons because that's where the prefects take them, but that's a whole different tangent. And the last thing I read was Artificial Condition by Martha Wells. It's book two in the Murderbot Diaries. I'm normally not a huge sci-fi person, but if you've got some sassy AI, I love it. I want it. I need it. And Murderbot is one of my favorite versions of that. I really wish I could just binge read all the novellas but I'm trying to pace myself and for this one I gave it four stars which I'm raving about it a lot for only a four star but I think for it to be five stars I would need these novellas to be twice as long. For me my main complaint in my reviews if you ever read them on Goodreads is you'll see a little note at the bottom saying I wish it was longer and that's a problem I have with novellas it's a problem I have with thousand page books it's just if I love it it needs to be longer.
1: Forget breaking it up into multiple things, that makes sense, but like I want it all right
0: now. These novellas could have easily been 300 page books. I think it's just novellas are their own sort of thing and the author didn't want to go into making them books, but I think this was a common enough complaint that book five in the series is an actual book. It's at least 300 pages, so I can't wait to get to that later on in the year. As for what we're reading next, you're going to be reading, what, chapter 6 through 12 this week for Chamber of Secrets?
1: Yeah, I started it this week. Didn't really get the opportunity to tackle it too much. Work was a little busier this week for me, so um, when it came to reading, I was pretty worn out most of the nights this week.
0: But that'll be fun, because you'll be about halfway through when we talk about it next week, so that'll be good. As for what I'm reading next, I'm reading my next NetGalley art. It's I Hope You're Listening. By Tom Ryan. And it's basically a murder mystery. Except there's a girl who was in this situation. But she wasn't taken. So it's sort of her peripherally trying to figure out what happened. What's going on. And then some weirdness ensues. And I know that this comes out in October I believe. At least that's what it says on NetGalley. October 6th is the release date. But I try to read a NetGalley arc every month and all of mine are like September and October releases so it's a little early to be reading something that's sort of like dark and fall related but it's got a really great cover I know that for this one it's not really the typical you have one character on the front and they look sort of mysterious and dangerous and it's a creepy setting in this one you have a bunch of people with flashlights walking through the woods trying to find someone on the cover and I really liked the coloring and the style. I think that looks really cool so I'm excited to read that and when I finish that I'm going to be starting in on the last two books I've got from when we went and bought a bunch of books at a library sale last year in November. This one is a series I don't hear anything about and I don't know if it's because it's bad or if just not enough people have read it it's an older series. I think the first one came out in 2012. It's called Burnmark by Laura Powell and it's basically you have a witch in a town where being a witch gets you killed and that's all I really needed to know in order to want to read it. I know that she's supposed to develop powers and become stronger and other things as they go on and of course since it's 2012 there's gonna be a romance which not everyone's a big fan of. That's the way books worked in 2012. There's always a romance but I think that's everything for books. All right
1: well um when it comes to the sports world it was a quieter week for the most part. We had some some big games go on. Byron Munich was sitting in the chair to win. The Bundesliga title this week, but uh, your team pulled off just by the skin of their chin a game. uh, In the
0: 95th minute, we got a goal.
1: Based on the statistics I was seeing, was 96, but I'm sure it was 95th. They just did the roundup thing that soccer does from time to time for it. Right. It
0: It might have been 95th in one second or something like that.
1: Exactly. You know, Wonderboy Eric Holland pulling off. uh,
0: I love that child. Yeah. That sounded weird.
1: Another beautiful thing there. In the Bayern Munich game, we, we scored all the goals, including one for the opposing team. Um, we had an own <laughs> I didn't goal. didn't see that. We had an own goal by Pavard. He was clearly trying to clear the ball out. <laughs> he just didn't get the right angle of his foot on it.
0: You hate to see it.
1: And, and what was the harder part of it was there definitely was a player on the other side of the cross who would have had a good scoring chance. However, Manuel Neuer was definitely set up to make the save on that player. He was out of the box area, like practically maybe 10 feet away from the player that would have had the scoring opportunity, which means he would have been a big body. It would have been a very tough angle to score the goal. I would have said that he probably had like maybe 15 to 20 degrees worth of space to actually shoot on the net from the angle he was at. It's kind of one of those ones where like the percentage is so low of a goal scoring opportunity. Just let the ball through.
0: Well, and I've not watched a lot of soccer. I haven't seen this happen often, but In my head right now, there's a highlight reel or a low light reel of players, defensemen doing this in hockey. And it's like, your goalie had it. You need to back the F off. But then they just get in there and cause own goals and it freaking sucks.
1: And Pavard has a history of being a stellar defenseman. So it's just a blemish that he'll probably forget. You know, honestly, it's not something he's done very often in his career. I think it's like his second or third own goal ever. And
0: Well, I mean, you guys won the game, so it's not like he needs to remember that in the back of his head. It's just, you hate to see it.
1: And to be completely honest, the bigger blemish came from the opposing team, Modern Globbach. Their goalie came out of the box to clear the ball and didn't look up fully to where he was passing. He just kind of had that, like, second nature decision in his head where it's just like, I know there's somebody there. I'm going to pass it to him on my team. And the problem was... It wasn't his teammate? No. Uh... Well, his teammate was there, but Xerxi had been breaking towards that player because he knew by watching tape that that's what the goalie does. So he did his homework and it paid off because it was Xerxi and an empty net basically just by itself. The goalie really tried his best and the defenseman tried to get back, but Xerxes is such a young talent that we don't get to see, and the only reason we saw him is because Lewandowski and Muller were out due to five yellow cards on the season. They were suspended from a game. But honestly, the two players that came in to play for those two guys really stepped up their game. Um, We had a young guy, I want to say his last name was like Cousins or something like that. It's 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 not pronounced cousins, but it's spelt similar, so that my brain naturally wants to say that. I
0: was gonna say that's not very German sounding. Yeah,
1: but... it it was his first um appearance for uh, Bayern Munich as a starter, so I'm sure he was nerve wracked, but he played a really good game. He had three shots on goal, which as a first time in the Bundesliga player, like that's awesome. And Mann is no team to roll over on, you know, they're they're a pretty solid team overall, you know, higher middle group of the table, so Xerxes, uh, we've seen him in a couple games over the last season. He's got that super fro that everybody loves so much in the soccer world right now. So
0: I call it the soccer fro because I don't see it anywhere else. Everyone else wears helmets of some sort. <laughs>
1: right. But he, he definitely read that play correct, did his homework, and it paid off. Honestly, it was probably one of the more beautiful goals from this weekend. I didn't get the opportunity to actually see Holland's goal, but I, I'm sure the way he works his magic, it was probably some form of beautiful.
0: I'm just glad it happened. And to me, it feels like going to the sixth minute in stoppage is a lot. Yeah. Because that's not six minutes from over the course of the game. That's the half because you also do stoppage at the end of the first half. Yeah. So the fact it just being six minutes is crazy. I'm used to seeing two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. Anything over that feels like a really long time. <laughs> like a
1: big stretch. The, the referee on the field is like, hey, uh, I love soccer, you're gonna need a lot of extras of it. Just some extra minutes.
0: But I'm glad we managed to pull it off. I think we really need to win it in order to keep you guys from taking the league.
1: Well, since your game was the first game in the morning, it definitely put the pressure on us to win. And if we didn't, you guys would have been scooting up ever closer. At this point, though, uh, after this week's breakdown of games and matches, we're looking at a possibility of Bayern Munich closing it out this week on Tuesday. But you could
0: have done it last week and you didn't.
1: Yeah, well, in this instance, it would be too many points for Dortmund to come back because there's only three games left in the season Yeah, yeah. just um, the way the numbers work yeah we're seven points up so you know it's pretty much wraps it up um the team we have to play this week is near the bottom of the table Werder Brennan we're, we're playing them at I believe at home and they're second from the bottom of the table so they're they're in relegation zone they've pretty much accepted their defeat but as I know you want to say you're ready for the underdog to come back and kind of upset us
0: I mean, if it's not doing bad things to my team, I want the underdog to win. (laughs) If it doesn't work for me, I don't want it to happen, but I kind of want to see the underdog win and upset you. That would be fantastic. Yeah,
1: because Bayern Munich sits right now, clinched a spot in the final for the DFB Pokal. And then we are currently in the semis for Champions League whenever that boots back up.
0: Well, doesn't the Champions League end in August?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what they're aiming for at this point. Um, The matches, I think, just started getting dates this week. So I'm sure we'll get a full press release with their plans and what what it's going to end up looking like within the week.
0: Because I heard that PSG is losing two players in August when Champions League ends. Yeah. And it's who knows if I'm saying this right, Cavani. That's correct. And Silva.
1: Yep, both correct.
0: And as far as I know, Cavani has interest from two other teams, so he's got somewhere to go after this is over. And that's Atletico Madrid, if I'm saying that correctly.
1: Atletico Madrid, yeah.
0: Sure. And then Inter Miami, which is the MLS team in the U.S. So he's got somewhere to go once the PSG lets them go. But for Silva, I don't see anywhere that he's got prospect.
1: Uh, Silva will find a home. He's He's been a pretty steady player over the years, so I really wouldn't be too concerned. I'm sure somebody out there would be willing to, you know, take the risk on a short-term contract with him somewhere for a reasonable right. fee.
0: Well, and reason PSG is letting these two players go who have had a lot of games with the team seems to be financial and then on top of that they want to bring up the younger people and get them actually on the pitch and playing
1: yeah so in the soccer world of sports they're what they call a model team they have so much money it really doesn't make too much of a difference they have young talent available and it's going to be a very hot market during the off season this year so they want to basically free up that cap space so they can be spenders instead of sellers.
0: But we do get the Premier League coming back this week on Wednesday. Yeah. My team doesn't play till Friday. United is going to be playing against Tottenham.
1: Yeah, and then the first game back, starting on Wednesday uh, the 17th, we have Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. I don't know that it's going to be the most exciting game to start. The The second game on Wednesday is honestly going to be the more interesting one, I think, for most people, um, with Man City versus Arsenal. Two Go very, Arsenal. Two very competitive teams. Well, yeah, as a Man United fan, I <laughs> expect that from you. And then you already went over the fact that your team is playing on Friday. Newcastle United, were they had already played a game before they had finished that match week, or they canceled that match week, I should say, before COVID went down. So, so, you guys
0: played right when everything was going basically
1: down? Basically, like the day or two before they shut it down. Um, so, Newcastle United actually doesn't have a game until Sunday, so the upcoming match week. And we actually get to play Sheffield United. Um, so, so, you're going
0: to keep an eye on this week's game?
1: Yeah, I'm going to watch the Aston Villa Sheffield United game, kind of see how it all breaks down. In big news of Newcastle United over the last two weeks, we're starting to finally see the deal closing down where Ashley, uh, who's the currently owner of the Newcastle United team, is finally selling the organization and as a Newcastle United fan that makes me very excited it's an investment group and a chic who are uh, purchasing the organization that's
0: still weird to me I'm sorry I don't know enough about soccer for that not to be weird to me
1: So if you know the history of it, Sheiks are getting more and more involved with dumping money into Premier League teams. Uh, You can ask Manchester City how that worked out. They were pretty much a mediocre-to-donkey team most of the time in the Premier League. Not saying that they went up and down quite like Newcastle did between, you know, League 2 and League 1, you know, the Premier League and then League 1. But the big thing for me as a fan is both the investment group and the Sheik are saying that they're going to spend money. They've been linked to speaking with uh, contract negotiations for um, Philip Coutinho. He currently is a member of Bayern Munich bench, basically. The guy has a lot of talent, but again, Bayern Munich is one of those model teams that has so much depth that their bench could be starters anywhere else in the world. Right. So um, it's exciting to see a team willing to go out and start spending some money right off the bat during the, the summer transfer window when it does actually kick off here since the delays of COVID caused that to kind of uh, be delayed. And then other big news in the world of sports this week. MLB draft happened this week. The Padres picked the first high schooler at spot eight. That's the furthest down the first high school player has ever been picked in the major league draft. I so. don't
0: understand why this is significant. I know that you tried to explain it to me and it just didn't make any sense.
1: So in the MLB world, unlike a lot of the sports worlds, shy of like maybe soccer, younger and younger players are getting recognized and drafted earlier on in the draft. Growing up in San Diego, I played against a couple of good players who came out of high school directly. One of them ended up with the Kansas City Royals. Played there for a few years. Honestly, I'm not sure what happened to him after that. I kind of stopped following him because he, he really didn't have that great of a, a professional career coming straight out of high school. So, you know, I'm a big believer still that collegiate athletes are going to do better in the long term because they're playing against players at a, a higher level and the expectation is for them to play at the same level as these other collegiate athletes and not to go straight from high school where you know they might be playing against teams that really aren't that great at baseball to literally pros that are being paid millions of dollars so I feel like that's a big jump for an 18 or 19 year old but we'll talk a little bit about the draft more so just related to my White Sox team because if we really broke down the draft we'd be here literally all day long Right. You guys
0: had five picks. I don't know if that's the normal amount for a draft or if you traded away to get picks or get rid of picks, whatever.
1: Um, it, it's pretty standard. Uh, the lower ranking teams obviously can end up with a few more picks. Um, the big ones came in the first and second round with our 11th pick of the first round of the draft. So we went after a guy, named Garrett Crochet, which I'm waiting for your Crochet joke to happen. Uh, I don't
0: have one, but I just want to see him in the dugout Having a, having a little fun while he's waiting to be batter up.
1: Well, as a pitcher, he's probably not going to be battered up very much in the in, in the American League, but... Uh,
0: like I said last week, sports, not yeah. my bag.
1: Yeah, he, uh, he had a pretty impressive season last year, and for the most part, he had a pretty fast growth in his collegiate career. When he joined the team in Tennessee as a freshman, he had a fastball that was only in like the low 90s to high 80s. And that so,
0: sounds fast to me, but apparently it's not.
1: It's very slow. And and so everybody at first was kind of like, what's this kid going to do for us? You know. Mm-hmm. In his senior year, his average fastball was in the 95 to 100 mile an hour range, which is plenty fast to be in the big leagues. On the roster, he had the second most strikeouts as a pitcher. And it was one of the reasons they won their first major tournament, NCAA tournament, since 2005 for the Tennessee Volunteers in baseball.
0: Wait, they're the Tennessee Volunteers? Yes,
1: the Vols. Go Vols. Um, Oh, wow. You know, if you want that little reference there. But he took a line drive to the face. So, like, it gets more impressive because two weeks before the game that he came in and threw two and one-third scoreless innings to close it out and win the, the championship, he took a line drive to the face and fractured his draw. So, literally, two weeks before he won the championship, he fractured his jaw. So understand that the man was playing...
0: Was his mouth wired shut during I, the game? I don't know. That I, sounds bananas. I didn't see
1: the highlights of it, but, like, the idea that he came in and won a championship with a broken jaw, hey... You know what? That guy's a tough dude. Put him on our roster. You you know know what
0: I'm going to say because we've been married for four years, but I hate this about athletes. And I know that this is obviously one of the reasons I'm not a big sports nerd. You're freaking injured. Stop it. Go take care of yourself. Come back when it's over. Don't come back two weeks into your broken jaw getting healed. Like, no. Well,
1: he's going to, I think he's going to fit in really well in Chicago where they're notorious for having injuries to the face and still playing shortly thereafter, like Duncan Keith. Losing his
0: teeth. Duncan the, Keith with no series. teeth. Yeah. I just, um. I hate that athletes do this. And this is why I'm not a huge sports fan. It's because they have such a competitive nature that they can't just let it go. They have to come in. They have to play. They can't let someone else do it. And it's just a little narcissistic, if I'm being honest. But welcome to the team.
1: Yeah. And for the White Sox, we we really went heavy this year on on pitching. And it's, it's somewhere we've been building for a long, long time as an organization because pitching wins championships, realistically. Like, it's great to have hitters, but if you're giving up too many runs, it doesn't do you much good. So the second round pick we picked in 47th, and honestly, I agree with a lot of the commentators out there. This kid shouldn't have slipped that far, you know. He definitely should have been a high second round.
0: And his name's Jared Kelly? Jared Kelly, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Or a very low first round uh, pick. Uh, He was the Gatorade National Player of the Year for the 2019-2020 season. Obviously, portions of that were cut off just a little bit, but mm-hmm. not drastically. He was 32-3 and 3 in his high school career uh, this year, and I forget to mention that. Obviously, Gatorade National Player of the Year is for high school athletes oh, in okay. the sport of baseball. But a 32-3 and 3 record, unbelievable. ERA was under 0. .5 with a 0. .43 ERA. So earned runs average, kind of like the goals against average. Oh, okay, that makes is, sense. Now. Is the best way for me to describe it to a hockey fan for you. Per game, his earned runs average is less than one. That's okay. insanity. And and he's not really a local boy to us here in Dallas, but he is a local boy to Texas. Okay. Um, he's from Refugio, and that is going to be the city is just a little north of Corpus Christi, Texas. So down by the the uh, ocean there, the Caribbean. It's, it's just exciting to see some young talent coming into the organization. Obviously, uh, I'd love to see Jared Kelly start this year. I don't think that's going to be really a realistic expectation. The White Sox have always been a team that believes that you should play at least one year in minor league before you end up um, in the big leagues. I know it's caused some controversy with some of our star players over the years, but I am a supporter of that it really kind of forces the player to get on their feet. You know, they're still playing against guys that could play in the big leagues. So they're a little more comfortable and confident when they come up to the big league.
0: I'm never a big fan of prospects, which is why I don't tend to pay a lot of attention to the hockey draft or anything like that. Because while you may be drafted in 2020, I might not see you for three years. For me, you're not a big player yet. So it doesn't really factor into what my 2020-2021 season is gonna look like
1: right and then I think the last bit of news honestly from the MLB is how fed up the players association is with the, the the governors and owners of MLB
0: not that I blame them I think the MLB is blowing this big time because they had the opportunity to be the first sport of the summer to come back yeah. and they just completely wasted it
1: Yeah, you know, being the first sport back in the United States, the land that is motivated mostly by sports. And um, money, but go on. Well, yeah, but they would have had the opportunity to make a bankroll. There are so many organizations and TV channels out there that are sports-related channels that are literally looking for anything right now. They would have thrown money at the MLB to broadcast any games.
0: Right, right. And I believe the Players Association basically went to the MLB and said, you know what, just tell us when and where. Because yeah. they got so fed up with trying to deal with this back and forth. It feels like it's going nowhere.
1: Yeah, they they just want to know the schedule, where they're going to be playing. The players are, are fed up. They, for the most part, want to play. There are a few players that have uh, voiced... Concern uh, like the Mike Trouts of the world who were really not fond of the idea of playing in certain cities because they're away from their family. But let's be honest with the current COVID situation, that's more than likely to be what's gonna happen.
0: Right. Well, and the longer it takes for baseball to come back, the less likely they are to make as much money as they normally do. Yeah. Because that's less time, which means less games. So you're not gonna be making what you normally make until things start to come back and be normal
1: and so the players are ready to come back the only thing they're basically sitting on at this point they want to know how many games they're going to be playing and then they're willing to work out the pay details they just want to come back at this point for the right. most part right. with the majority so i understand the frustrations on the players' sides as somebody who played baseball i love the sport i, I wanted to come back i wanted to watch it And it just seems like it's never going to end at this point.
0: That's normally how I feel when I'm watching baseball. It's never going to (laughs) end. So the next one is actually the NHL, NHL Player Association. And they're not fighting the way the MLB is. They actually came to terms for phase three start, which is camps on July 10th. Correct. And that's still technically tentative based on health and safety. They're going to still change it if they have to, but that's the date they've set as the start date.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm excited to see hockey committing to dates, you know, faster than a lot of the organizations are. I know that because the teams are international, they're still trying to figure out the cities that really haven't been dwindled down any different than what it was before. So
0: There's a little more rumor, so a little more behind the rumor of going to Vegas. They're not quite set on that yet, but there's more talk coming out about going to Vegas, which makes a lot of sense, like I said last week. But they still don't know when phase four is going to start. They don't know when everything's going to kick off. But the fact of the matter is they now have a date for starting camps. And now the players aren't questioning as much what's going to happen. When do we start sitting in this whole hold pattern, basically. So that's fun to see. And then... Over the weekend, the Montreal Canadiens mascot, which I'm going to mispronounce because I know I am, Yuppie. That wasn't a bad attempt. <laughs> he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. He looks a little bit like a monster, but he's joining a bunch of other well-known he,
1: ones. He looks more or less like a mountain man would,
0: <laughs> to an extent.
1: Is the best description I could come up with. You know, full beard, little heavy set, you know, lumberjacky kind yeah. of feel.
0: But before this, I had no idea that uh, mascots can be inducted into a Hall of Fame. So that's a thing, apparently. And oh. the last thing isn't really a piece of news, but it kind of is because I think it's funny. And a messy fan ended up walking onto the pitch during the second half to try to get a selfie with him. Which, first of all, how did you make it into the stadium? How did you actually walk onto the pitch? That's my question.
1: As I've thought about this, it kind of reminds me of like the random squirrels and things like that that get into baseball stadiums. Or cats, yeah. Yeah, Or cats that will just run across the middle of the field out of nowhere. And you're just like, you're one of those.
0: (laughs) But in human form. Yeah. Well, it's especially weird considering the fact that it's still being played without any fans in the stadium. So not only did you have to get onto the pitch, but you had to get into the whole stadium to begin with and not be stopped. So like, good on you for going out there trying to get what you want, but at the same time you're interrupting the sport and you know, you might get someone's.
1: And then there was just one more small piece of news that happened this week. The NBA Players Association is basically represented by six VPs that are players. Like, it came together to kind of determine whether the season should start back up and so on and so forth. Kyrie Irving, a player for the Brooklyn Nets, stated that his concern is if the NBA comes back, they are going to be taking away currently from the political spectrum with George Floyd and right. all this stuff. Most of the other players disagreed with that sentiment. They believe that if they were getting airtime, they could do things like the kneeling or wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts, which will get national news instead of Kyrie on his Twitter or Instagram showing off him walking with people.
0: At that point, you have more of a platform. I also think they were talking about if they could finally get into play, then they could earn more money in order to fund Black Lives Matter. Help fund. I don't know where... I really want to stand on that one just because anything that's happening and getting news that's not the Black Lives Matter movement, it takes away from the movement. But at the same time, you would have a Bigger platform if you were playing and you were making national news, right?
1: Because you're seeing a lot of organizations partnering up with Black Lives Matter. You know, Bayern Munich had a over 200 foot banner on the side of where the cameras were facing, basically stating that Reds were against racism. Black Lives Matter, you know, was on there, and you're you're seeing a lot of organizations in the Premier League taking photos in their friendly games of everybody lining up around the middle circle taking a knee. You know, so. I feel like that brings more presence forward with their social media platforms of professional organizations rather than just a player.
0: Well, if the NBA is going to come back, it needs to be the full organization behind it. It can't just be one or two players because then it's devolving into more of a conversation of this player kneeled during the national anthem and the right... just doesn't like that because apparently that's more important than what's actually happening in this country. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it only being one or two players. It needs to be a united front.
1: Yeah, I agree 100% on that. That was uh, kind of the last bit of news that we had for the day.
0: I didn't know about that, so that was interesting. Surprise. Yeah, but we should have linked down below in the notes all of our social media, my blog, Instagram, all the fun stuff.
1: Our travel Instagram as well will be included in that. But uh, thank you guys for listening today. We really appreciate it.
0: We will see you next week.
1: Bye, guys.
0: Bye.